And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from... Uh, I got the hiccups for some reason. Uh, our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West in the most haunted city in the country. Well, today's October 17th, 290th day of the year. 75 days remain to the year's over with. This year is just shooting by. You all have asked for holidays observances, so it's National Clean Your Virtual Desktop Day. National Pasta Day. Black Poetry Day. Child Poverty Day. Uh, Day of Dignity in Bolivia. Desalines Day. Jean-Jacques Desalines is both a champion of freedom and a strict autocrat. International Day for the Eradication of Poverty. And at the rate our government's spending money, they're trying to alleviate everybody's poverty but ours. National Catholic Men's Conference Day. National Edge Day. National Mulligan Day. If at first you don't succeed, you'll get another crack at it. National Payback a Friend Day. National Pharmacy Technician Day. Pro-Life Day of Silent Solidarity. Wear Something Gaudy Day. Women in Military Service for American Memorial Anniversary. Uh, women officially joined the U.S. military during the last two years of World War I. Before that, it was a no-no. Uh, unless you wanted to be a nurse. World Trauma Day. Well. Okay, in 690, Empress Wu Zetan established the Zhao Dynasty of China. 1091, London Tornado of 1091. Tornado thought to be a T8F4. Struck the heart of London. 1346, the English captured King David II of Scotland and Neville's Cross and imprisoned him for 11 years. 1448, an Ottoman army defeats a Hungarian army at the Second Battle of Kosovo. 1456, the University of Greifswald is established as the second oldest university in Northern Europe. 1534, anti-Catholic posters appear in Paris and other cities supporting Huldrych Zwingli's position on the Mass. we got other things to fight about besides what we say, who we say it to, or how we say it. But that's just me. 1558, Polska, Polska, the, British, uh, the Polish uh, Postal Service is founded. 1604, Kepler supernovas observed in the constellation of Fiucus, 1610, French King Louis XIII's crown in Reims Cathedral. 1669, regicides who saw the death warrant of Charles I of England are hung, drawn, and quartered. Got to teach you to kill your king. 1662, Charles II of England sells Dunkirk to Louis XIV of France for 40,000 pounds. Louis XIV was the Sun King. 1713, Great Northern War. Russia defeated Sweden in the Battle of Kostyanverta in uh, Palkane. 1771, premiere in Milan of the opera Ascanio di Alba, composed by Mozart at age 15. 1777, American Revolutionary War. British General John Burgoyne surrenders his army at Saratoga, New York. 1781, American Revolutionary War. British General Charles Earl Cornwallis surrenders at the Siege of Yorktown. Two major British armies had to surrender to the ragtag colonist. 1800, War of the Second Coalition. Britain takes control of the Dutch colony of Curacao. 1806, former leader of the Haitian Revolution, Emperor Jacques I is assassinated after an oppressive rule. 1811, the several deposits of Agua Amarga are discovered in Chile, becoming in the following years instrumental for the Patriots to finance the Chilean War of Independence. 1814, eight people died in the London Beer Flood. Enough of those are not familiar with it. It was an accident at Muonco's Horseshoe Brewery in London. Uh, one of the 22-foot-tall wooden vats and fermenting porter burst open. Escaping liquid dislodged the valve of another vessel and destroyed several large barrels. Between 128,000 and 323,000 imperial gallons 
of beer were released in total. The resulting wave of uh, porter destroyed the back wall of the brewery and swept into the area of slum dwellings known as St. Giles Rookery. Eight people were killed, five of them mourners at the wake being held by an Irish family for a two-year-old boy. Coroner's inquest returned a verdict that the eight had lost their lives casually, accidentally, and by misfortune. Well, as you might guess, the brewery was nearly bankrupted by the event. It avoided collapse after a rebate from um, Her Majesty Excise on the lost beer. The brewing minister gradually stopped using large wooden vats after the accident. The brewery moved in 1921. The Dominion Theater is now where the brewery used to stand. Uh, Mule and Co. went into liquidation in 1961. Uh, it was one of the two largest in London, along with white, uh, Whitbread. 1850, riots start with lead to a massacre in the Lipo. 1860, first of the Open Championship, referred to in North America as the British Open. 1861, Aboriginal Australians killed 19 Europeans in the Kalamaringo Massacre. Known historically as the Wills Tragedy, massacre of white colonists by indigenous people that occurred north of modern-day Springshire in uh, central Queensland, Australia. Nineteen men, women, and children are killed in the attack, including Horatio Wills, owner of Kalana Ringo Station, single largest massacre of colonists by Aboriginal people in Australian history. In the weeks after, police, native police, and civilian posses carried out one of the most lethal punitive expeditions in frontier history. They hunted down and killed up to 370 members of the Gariri Aboriginal tribe implicated in the massacre. Well, some things they take um, seriously in Australia. The Horatio uh, the Wills uh, Party was actually a squatter polity, party from the colony of Victoria. Horatio Wills was the leader. They set up a temporary tent camp to start the process of setting up the grazing property of Kamalaringa. Wills Party, an enormous settlement train, including bullock wagons and more than 10,000 sheep, had sent out from Brisbane eight months before to set up a farm at Kamalaringa. That property was formed by amalgamating four blocks of land with a total of 260 square kilometers. That was about 64,000 acres. The size of the group attracted a lot of attention from other settlers as well as the indigenous people. According to the reports, the attack on the party was revenge for the murder of Gariri men by Will's neighbor, Jesse Gregson, a squatter from the Rainworth station nearby, who erroneously accused them of stealing his cattle. So his response was to shoot them. 1907, Marconi begins the first commercial transatlantic wireless service. 1912, Bulgaria, Greece, and Serbia declared war on the Ottoman Empire, joining Montenegro in the First Balkan War. 1919, Leeds United FC founded at Salem Chapel Hallback after the winding up of the Leeds City FC for making illegal payments to players during the World War. 1931, Al Capone is convicted of income tax evasion. Couldn't get him for any crimes. No, no, income tax evasion. 1933, Albert Einstein flees Nazi Germany and moves to the U.S. 1940, the body of communist propagandist Will Munzenberg is found in South France, starting a never-resolved mystery. 1941, World War II, the USS Kearney becomes the first Navy vessel to be torpedoed by a U-boat, and that's a distinction you don't want. 1943, the Burma Railway is completed. That was Burma to Thailand. 1943, Nazi Holocaust in Poland. Sobibor extermination camp is closed. 1945, a large demonstration in Buenos Aires, Argentina demands Juan Perón's release. 1952, Indonesian army elements surrounded the Rudeka Palace, demanding President Sukarno disband the Provisional People's Representative Council. 1956, the first commercial nuclear power plants officially opened by Queen Elizabeth II in Salia Field, England. 1961, directed by their chief, Maurice Papon, the Paris police massacre scores of Algerian protesters. Also in 1961, the first attempt by the apartheid analogy of the apartheid analogy by Ahmed Sakiri. 
1965, the 64-65 New York World's Fair closes after two years, more than 51 million attendees. 1966, the 23rd Street Fire in New York City kills 12 firefighters. 1969, Caravaggio painting on Nativity with St. Francis and St. Lawrence is stolen from the Oratory of St. Lawrence in Palermo. 1970, FLQ terrorist murder Quebec Vice Premier and Minister of Labor Pierre Laporte. 1973, OPEC imposes an oil embargo against countries they deem to have helped Israel in the Yom Kippur War. 1977, a hijacked times of Flight 181 lands in Mogadishu. Remaining hostages are later released. 1979, Mother Teresa is awarded a Nobel Peace Prize. 1979, the Department of Education Organization Act creates the U.S. Department of Education. 1980, as part of the Holy See, United Kingdom relations, the British monarch makes the first state visit to the Vatican. 1988, Uganda Airlines Flight 775 crashes at Rome. Flumicino International Airport in Rome, Italy, killing 33 people. 1989, 6.9 Loma Prieta earthquake shakes the San Francisco Bay Area and the Central Coast, killing 63. 1989, German East Politburo votes to remove Eric Hornecker from his role as General Secretary. 1991, the 1991 Lumpur bombings by Sheikh separatists to explode two bombs during a Ramilia Hindu celebration in um, Uttarakhand, uh, killing 41 people. 1992, having gone to the wrong house, Japanese student, student Yoshiro Hattori is killed by the homeowner in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. 1994, Russian journalist Dmitry Kolodov is assassinated while investigating corruption in the armed forces. In the year 2000, the Hatfield uh, rail crash leads to the collapse of rail track. 2001, as Larry Tourist Minister, Rahavam Zaevi is assassinated by Hamadi Quran, a member of the PFLP, thus becoming the highest-ranking Israeli to be killed by a Palestinian. 2003, Taipei 101, a 101-floor skyscraper in Taipei, becomes the world's tallest high-rise. 2004, a fire that lasted over 15 hours destroyed almost a third of the East Tower, the Park Central Urban Complex in Caracas, Venezuela. 2017, Syrian Civil War. Syrian Democratic Forces captured the last foothold in the Islamic State of Iraq and Levant in Raqqa, making the end of the Battle of Raqqa. 2018, recreation use of cannabis is legalized in Canada. 2018, a mass shooting and bombing at Kurtz Polytechnic College in Crimea kills 21, including the attacker, and injures 70 others. 2019, drug dealers in Culiacan, Sinaloa, Mexico, forced the government to back down on uh, an arrest. 2019, the October 17th revolution starts in Lebanon. Well... I've been asked, uh, since there was something in the news about El Paso being so haunted, I was asked to go back and tell some of the stories about hauntings. I'm going to start out, not in El Paso, oh no, but with the Battle of Alcatraz, which is a little known uh, encounter, took place May 2nd, 1946. Six prisoners overpowered guards, stole their weapons, and tried to escape from the prison on it, uh, the isolated island of San Francisco Bay. When they realized they were missing the key they needed to get into the recreation yard, the group desperate took captive, captives and started shooting. Over the next 48 hours, two prison officers were killed, 18 injured, three would-be escapees were shot to death in the utility corridor between cell blocks. That's the very spot that uh, 36 years later, San Francisco radio anchor Ted Wigand uh, was exploring with a psychic when he was overcome with a feeling of violence and evil. He told the Travel Channel, I got this tremendous feeling of anger. 
felt his presence beneath us in the dirt where these three men had died. But that's only one of the many supernatural stories involving the so-called rock, as that prison is called. Had a cher- uh, checkered history. Started out as a Civil War fortress. It was a bird sanctuary, birthplace of the American Indian Red Power Movement. In addition to the brutal home for thousands of hardened convicts. Rejected as unmanageable by other prisons, these men were called the incorrigibles. That's according to former inmate Leon Whitey Thompson. He said, there, you step on a toe, it's going to wind up in a death. Now, many of these long-departed inmates are now said to be truly unruly spirits. There's a spectral Al Capone who's been heard practicing his banjo in the shower room. Believe it or not, he was a member of the prison band called the Rock Islanders. Mobster Alvin Creepy Carpus calls the bakery and kitchen home. George Machine Gun Kelly is reportedly materialized in the chapel. But the most haunted spot in the prison, according to a lot of paranormal investigators, is D-Block. That's the site of the infamous 1946 escape attempt, and uh, also the site of the island's best spook story. Now, the tale seems apocryphal. It's too good not to mention. A prisoner locked in cell 14D. That was referred to as one of the whole cells. Suppose they screamed someone else was in the dark, cramped space with him. When the guards finally got the door open, they found him dead. Strangulation marks from an attacker on his neck. This little setback, though, didn't prevent the late prisoner's ghost from showing up for roll call that night. And unlike so many haunted places, Alcatraz doesn't commercially capitalize on its reputation. In fact, the National Park Service calls the spook stories flights of fancy, as does the island's official tour website. According to the site, there are no authenticated cases of ghost sightings by any of Alcatraz Island's residents over the years, whether they were soldiers, prisoners, correctional officers, family members, or park rangers. But I guess the question becomes, how would you authenticate a ghost sighting? And the former prisoner, Thompson, for his part, believed uh, the hype. He said, this island's haunted. It's the island of the damned. Well, let's go to Ed Gein's farm. His home is called the Psycho House. Yeah, somewhere in the Plainsfield, Wisconsin Cemetery is a unmarked grave belonging to the man who, at least according to his Hollywood influence, may be America's most infamous serial killer. In the same burial ground lies the remains of the, the women he dug up in the 1950s and turned into a variety of handicrafts. Not surprisingly, the place is said to be haunted by the restless soul of one of this man's victims unnamed in death as in life, who seems to prowl the lonely graves. It was November 1957. Plainsfield was shaken to its core after 58-year-old Bernice Warden, owner of the local hardware store, vanished. Her son told the local sheriff he'd found blood in the store, and that 51-year-old local handyman, uh, Ed Gein, had recently come in looking for antifreeze. Well, they tracked... Gein down to the ramshackle isolated farmhouse where he uh, lived alone since the death of his mother. And there the sheriff found Warden hanging by her feet, decapitated and eviscerated. She was hanging in a shed now behind the house. But that was only the beginning of the discoveries. In the garbage-strewn house, law enforcement officers found chairs reupholstered with fatty human skin, a soup bowl made from a human skull, a shade pole made of lips, mask made from human faces, a belt made of female nipples, a vest made from a female torso, embalming supplies, anatomy books, detective magazines that uh, Gein read by kerosene lamp. Didn't have electricity. Also human heads. One belonging to Mary Hogan had run a Plainfield tavern and vanished in 1954. Well, at the end, the remains of 11 women were discovered in that house. Two of them. Hogan and Warden Gein claimed to have shot to death. Nine had been, uh, according to him, unearthed from local graves. Many of them had been tanned, as 
in taxidermy. Therefore, she is bagging his garments. The only immaculate parts of the dwelling were the nail-shut room that belonged to Gein's mother, Augusta. The fanatically religious woman had subjected her unstable son to ceaseless rants about the evils of women. Her alcohol husband, alcoholic husband, George, died in 1940, followed by Gein's brother, Henry, under very mysterious circumstances in 1944. And that left Gein to share the house with his mother, who he called the love of his life. When Augusta died in 1945, um, he found himself all alone. Of course, the necrophilic bachelor started digging up graves, using the remains of female bodies for company. Dressed in women's clothes, some fashioned from corpses, wishing he'd been born a woman. In fact, his mother had prayed for a daughter when she got her son. Gaines and oblivious neighbors found him harmless. Had Gein babysat for me once for more than an hour, according to local residents, Mrs. George Foster. Just sat there, ate peaches, watched TV. Locals did, however, acknowledge he was what they referred to as odd. Talked obsessively, for instance, about crime and women. Former girlfriend, Adeline Watkins, said we discussed every murder we heard about. And Ed explained all the mistakes the murderer had made. Well, declared insane in 1958, he died of cancer at age 77 in Mendota Mental Health Institute. But his perverse legacy endures, having inspired some of the greatest horror films ever made. Among those were the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Silence of the Lambs, and there was a little-known classic known as Deranged. Well, the most enduring product of the Gein legend began in 1959 when writer Robert Block published a potboiler called Psycho, which Alfred Hitchcock turned into the classic 1960 film. Norman Bates, the uh, character based on Gein, said the boy's best friend is his mother, especially when she's psycho. Well, let's talk about where Rosemary's baby was born. Well, when John Lennon and the Oko Ono moved into the Dakota on 72nd Street in Central Park West in 1973, they were aware the building was rumored to be haunted. When we lived there, there were a lot of stories. So they hired a medium to conduct a seance in their seventh-floor apartment and reached Jesse Ryan, the recently departed wife of Dirty Dozen actor Robert Ryan, who, who'd sold them the unit. Now, this was not a bleak spirit. She promptly announced she intended to stay in the couple's apartment, which didn't make the Ryan's daughter, Lisa, happy. She said, if my mother's ghost belongs anywhere, it's with me. Which sounds like she was maybe a sandwich short of a picnic. Most of the Dakota spirits don't belong there, of course, but they seem to have been in residence since the building was completed in 1884. Built for singer sewing machine president Edward Clark in Manhattan's uh, then-rural Upper West Side, the German Renaissance Revival structure was reportedly called the Dakota because its location was as remote as the Dakota Territory. Over time, the Dakota's sinister reputation has grown along with its environments. This was, after all, where Lennon was murdered in 1980. And Yoko Ono still lives there. And Aaron Levin used it as a setting for his historic 1967 novel, Rosemary's Baby. Although the novelist called it the Black Bramford, he drew on the Dakota's dark mojo for inspiration. One of the characters said over the years the Bramford has had far more than its share of ugly and unsavory happenings, as has the Dakota. In Levin's world, these included cannibalism, witchcraft, Satanism, and murder. He may well have added the real-life spirit of a beautiful blonde girl in a yellow dress, and some have called her the house ghost. Others call her a bad omen. She told uh, a painter and later fell to his death, it's my birthday. And others have seen the ghost of a man with the face of a small boy. And a mysterious fire started inside uh, writer Rex Reed's apartment. He later told Stephen Birmingham in Life at the Dakota that when that fire broke out, he thought to himself, well, welcome to the Dakota. Well, here the elevator moves on their own. Footsteps are heard where no mortal walks. Rumbling sounds come through the walls, and the past seems to coexist with the present. Chandelier was seen through the window of one resident's apartment as he walked into the, to the building, despite the fact he didn't have a chandelier. Now, the remains of one was there, but the chandelier wasn't, but he saw it from the outside. 
and many phenomena seem to emanate from the basement, including a so-called man with a wig who is known to take off his wig and shake it angrily. Levin's novel, Rosemary, called the basement kind of creepy, and so does singer Roberta Flack, a longtime resident who refuses to enter the basement. She told Birmingham the building's been occupied by a lot of strong people, and they stay. They have memories. They come back. Well, there's... You gotta keep in mind that in spite of what science says, we don't know it all. Let's go to Baltimore. Edgar Allan Poe House. Early morning hours of September 27, 1849, Edgar Allan Poe left Richmond, Virginia on a steamer heading for Baltimore. And he wasn't seen again until almost a week later when he was found, delirious, probably drunk, or wearing somebody else's clothes in a Baltimore tavern. Yeah, he was put in a hospital where he um, raved, repeatedly shouting somebody's name until on uh, October 7th he muttered, Lord help my poor soul, and then he died. Well, now a museum near Edgar Allan Poe House on Baltimore's Amity Street is where the lighter writer lived in the early 1830s. According to locals, it's haunted not by but not by Poe's poor soul. Some have seen the spirit of a stout old woman dressed in clothing in the early 1800s. Others reported visitations from a specter known as Mr. Eddie. Doors and windows open shut when nobody's anywhere near them. Visitors sometimes feel persistent tapping on their shoulders and neighbors seen candlelight, candle-like lights bobbing in the museum after closing time. A Poe's ghost has been seen in the town's port area, called Fells Point, where the writer seemed to have wondered during his final days. Spirit and affectionately known Ed, uh, named Edgar is said to prowl the, the horseshoe came in on saloon, Baltimore's oldest pub. And beginning in 1949, a mysterious person known as the Phantom Toaster toasted the folks with a glass of cognac at his grave every January 19th. That's Poe's birthday, by the way. Leaving behind the unfinished brandy bottle and three red roses. After vanishing in 2009, the toaster was thought to be uh, never more until a um, new toaster reignited the tradition in 2016. There's many stories about uh, Edgar Allan Poe and some of his bizarre uh, views. Well, let's go to San Jose, California, the Winchester Mystery House. According to one journalist, there's something of the awful House of Usher about it, writing about the Winchester Mystery House after it opened to the public in San Jose, California in 1923. He said he, for one, would like to Give a Halloween party in that old house. Now, the rumors about the maze-like Victorian mansion started soon after its eccentric owner, Sarah Winchester, began her elaborately idiosyncratic construction. And they continued to this day. Fueled in part by the guides who lead tourists through the bizarre structures, odd nooks and crannies, and past the doors that open into walls and go up staircases that go nowhere. There are now 160 rooms in that house, 2,000 doors, 10,000 windows, 47 stairways, 47 fireplaces, 13 bathrooms. Think of how much charming you'd need for that place. And six kitchens. Tourists are warned not to wander away from the tour groups because they could want be lost in that house for hours. According to the story, after losing both her only child and her husband in New England, Winchester, who was the heiress to the Winchester Repeating Arms Company fortune, consulted a Boston psychic. He told her her family was cursed by the souls of uh, those who had been killed by the Winchester rifle. And he's referring to both American Indians as well as Civil War soldiers. The Winchester was known as the gun that won the West. And he said the only way to placate those restless spirits was to build a rambling house for them to inhabit. Now, personally, I think he was just running off the mouth. But she was gullible enough and had the money enough to, to follow up on what he said. 
So she moved to California where she bought an unfinished farmhouse in 1886. And for the next 36 years, she renovated and rebuilt her house, hiring construction workers to work around the clock. As long as the hammering con continued, according to the story, she could stay alive. Well, the truth was, a little bit more complicated than that. Known in her youth as the Belle of New Haven, Winchester was later crippled with rheumatoid arthritis. And having lost her fabled looks, rarely ventured outside her house. Her obsessed need for privacy and refusal to speak publicly allowed yelling journalists and nosy neighbors to say anything they wanted about her with impunity. And they did. But the fact remains, visitors and staff alike claim to hear footsteps and breathing. They see apparitions from other er eras, find locked doors suddenly open, even smell chicken soup. In the end, the 1920 journalist was not far off when she compared the structure to the House of Usher. And like Poe's melancholy domicile, the Winchester Place remains a mystery that's insoluble. I mean, uh, she was told as long as she kept building, she'd keep living. She had the money. Well, let's go to one of my favorite towns, New Orleans. Whenever my wife went on a, one of her business meetings, whatever town we were in, I'd wander around and find the, the strange. Now, you got to ask yourself what other major U.S. city advertises rental apartments as haunted or not haunted. I mean, they, they treat ghosts like amenities, such as air conditioning or a 24-hour doorman. And of course, that's considered normal in New Orleans, where spirited real estate sales are among the many reasons, many reasons why the port city between the Mississippi River and Lake Pontchartrain is considered the most unearthly urban enclave in the U.S. So how did the Crescent City, as it's called, become a ghost town, literally? Had something to do with the multicultural mix of spiritual traditions, Native American, French, Spanish, Creole, Cajun, and not least voodoo, an amalgam of African religions and Catholicism. Maybe it's the fact because the water tables so high, tombs are all built above ground. They're usually referred to as cities of the dead, which um, leaves the rest of the spirits to roam the streets. And there's a ghost story on virtually every corner in that town, from the spirit of a suicide that haunts the Louisiana National Guard Army to the legend of the voodoo queen Marie Laveau, who was interred in St. Louis Cemetery Number 1. I took a tour of that, and around, you'd be amazed at the stuff laying on the ground around her uh, tomb. There's even money. And I asked one of the tour guides, did they ever come collect the money so folks didn't steal it? And he said, oh, Lord, no. And nobody in this town would dare take anything from Marie Laveau. Not so long ago, a New York Magazine editor in a city for a convention crawled into her hotel bed one night and immediately felt the presence of a man beside her. When he wrapped his arms around her, she was too terrified to even scream. Stayed awake with this, the arms she could clearly feel around her until sunrise when he vanished. Which brings up the idea, maybe, hotel should take a cue from the rental world and advertise haunted and unhaunted rooms along with continental breakfast. Well, from New Orleans, let's turn to Salem, Massachusetts. According to Tituba, the Caribbean slave who was working for Salem, Salem Village's minister, the devil came to her and told her to serve him. The minister is named Samuel Paris, and uh, when his young daughter and niece began to suffer fits in the winter of 1692, he knew the devil was at work. Supposedly influenced by the behind woman's fortune-telling, the girls and their friends were soon called victims of witchcraft. And that's how the witchcraft hysteria had its beginnings. 
Jiverbay were increasing accusations from the coterie of possessed girls. The Salem court convicted and hung 19 townspeople. They found guilty of witchcraft in 1692. But not all these souls went placidly to their glaries. In fact, three of them uttered hellish curses that a lot of folks believe afflict Salem to this day. A beggar named Sarah Good, having lost her unborn child in jail after being convicted of uh, witchcraft in June of 1692, was brought to Gallows Hill with four other condemned witches in July of 1692. When Reverend Nickel Noyes tried to elicit a confession, the furious Good shouted, I'm no more a witch and you're a wizard, and if you take away my life, God will give you blood to drink. Well, in 1717, according to tradition, Noya suffered an internal hemorrhage and choked to death on his own blood. More than a hundred years later, Nathaniel Hawthorne, a descendant of the witch-hunting judge, John Hawthorne, uh, used this curse to fuel the plot of his third novel, House of the Seven Gables. That's the name of a Salem house that uh, still stands to this day. In fact, in the introduction to The Scarlet Letter, another book Hawthorne wrote, he apologized for his ancestors' actions. So-called warlock... uh, Harlan implication as well. His name was Giles Corey. And he screamed, Damn you, Sheriff, as he was crushed under stones, put on wooden planks in a field near uh, Howard Street. That's possibly the site of the current Howard Street Cemetery. He said, I curse you and I curse Salem. Well, according to Hawthorne, tradition was a long current that... Um, the ghost of Giles Corey, the wizard, appeared on that spot where he suffered a, as a precursor to some calamity that was impending over the community. He was also seen, for instance, in the Howard Street Cemetery the night before the Great Salem Fire, July 25, 1914. That fire left half the city in shambles and left half the town homeless. Corey was tortured for two or three days by High Sheriff George Corwin, who was ostracized by the town after the trials. And when Corwin died of a heart attack in 1696, his family, not wanting to risk vandalizing a grave, interred him in his own basement. On the same site now occupied by the Joshua Ward House, which naturally is haunted. In the 1970s, according to Rosemary Ellen Guiley, author of Haunted Salem, the last man to serve in the office of sheriff, now that office no longer exists, Robert Ellis Cahill investigated the curse and wrote that all sheriffs as far back as he could trace either died in the office of heart problems or retired with an ailment of the blood. 1978, Cahill's own stand as sheriff was cut short by heart disease. Another cursed witch, or accused witch, seemed to predict a future contractilation. Wilmot Red was among the final eight victims to be hung on Gallows Hill on September 22, 1692. Screamed out, this town shall burn. And many years later, Salem did. But none of these doomed townsfolks would ever have thought to curse Salem with tourist brochures calling it bewitching. Not to mention a 3D haunted adventure or terror house that claims we're bringing scary back. I mean, quite frankly, you'd doubt that Corey's ghost as as one would agree with that assessment. And there's even... A statue of Elizabeth, Montgomery, Elizabeth Montgomery, star of TV's Bewitched, honoring the episode of the popular show that was shot in the village where all hell broke loose in 1692. I do remember that one. Shows you how old I am. Well, let's go to Craig Durant Castle. Well... It's a National Historic Site Museum on Vancouver Island in British Columbia. And there's, there are photos allegedly showing the ghost of a woman in Craig's Derrick Castle. And though ghost photos are taken in supposedly haunted spots all over the world, they often involve tricks of the light or sometimes Photoshop. But in this particular case, they may well be spiritual selfies. Built by a coal magnate Robert Dunsmuir, the Scottish baronial castle was completed in 1890. But the industrialist died before he could move in. So his wife Joan took possession, but she died in 1908. 
And when not posing for photos, Joan's ghost has been seen descending the main staircase in a ball gown. Her candles have been smelled on the second floor. And she doesn't seem to be alone. In the basement, the spirit of a little girl has been seen staring sadly at the floor. And the crying of a child and music from a playerless Steinway piano sometimes heard echoing along the ornate woodwork and Victorian stained glass in the uh, mansion's 39 rooms. And there's plenty of other spots on Vancouver Island are said to be haunted as well. Cameron Wake, Cameron Lake, for one, is the site of a wide range of uh, paranormal activity, and the ghost of a Hawaiian uh, axe murderer supposedly haunts the forest in Newcastle's Island Park. Not the least, nearby Vancouver's uh, Dead Man's Island, once a burial ground for everybody from indigenous Indians to early settlers, as well as a quarantine station for smallpox victims, is now home to the haunted HMC's uh, Discovery, Royal Canadian Navy Reserve Division and Shore Facility. A lot of reservists have experienced unexplained activity here, including, according to the Vancouver Courier, disembodied voices, apparitions, and moving furniture. But at least one witness wanted further proof. One seaman said, uh, if I have an encounter with ghosts, I want chains. I want the whole Ghostbusters effect. There's no report as to whether he got it, but there are stories. Well, let's go to the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. That was the hotel where they filmed The Shining. And it all started with a dream. September 1974, best-selling novelist Stephen King was on vacation with his wife Tabitha at the Stanley Hotel. He said, wandering through the corridors, I thought it seemed the perfect setting for a ghost story. And that night he dreamed of his three-year-old son running through the corridors, looking back over his shoulder, eyes wide and screaming. Seemed he was being chased by a fire hose. Well, this, was, of course, was the inspiration for King's classic 1977, The Shining, in which the Stanley became the Overlook Hotel of the writer's prodigious imagination. Built in 1909 by the inventor F.O. Stanley, the 140-room hotel has made the National Historic uh, a Register of Historic Places. When King visited it, it had seen much better days. Before such TV shows as Ghost Hunters made spirit hunting something of a national sport, uh, Grand Hotel was dogged by the rumor it was haunted. In fact, became paradoxically a draw after The Shining put it on the map. Today, the management plays up the hotel's reputation by offering access to a resident psychic day and night hours and day and night tours and family tours. I went on a number of um, tours, some I led and others I was just part of, of various places here in El Paso. Unlike Jack Torrance, visitors probably won't find a decomposing body in room 217's bathtub, but the room is said to be home to the ghost of Elizabeth Wilson, a former maid known to climb into bed between unmarried couples. Another ghost included Paul, the hotel's former maintenance man, who still enforces the hotel's strict 11 p.m. curfew by telling night owls to get out. A humming spirit named Lucy prowls the concert hall and the Wraith named Eddie is known as a Lothario, stroking female patrons' hair and kissing their cheeks. Once called the Stinky Man, he's since presumably found the spiritual equivalent of soap. And more than King's place for a ghost story, the Stanley's, according to, to a former in-house paranormal investigator, a Disneyland for spirits. You never know what you're going to find. As long as it's not Jack Nicholson. Well, another famous haunted location is the Amityville House in Long Island, New York. November 13, 1974, 23-year-old Ronald DeFeo Jr. slaughtered the other six members of his family at 112 Ocean Avenue in the village of Amityville, New York. A year later, New England's George and Kathy Lutz bought the murder family's uh, waterside Dutch colonial Target basement price outweighing its gruesome reputation. Well, they moved in with Kathy's three children from a previous marriage, and according to the Lutzes, uh, they began to experience phenomena that had nothing to do with the everyday horrors of home ownership. They'd see with red eyes at the window, swarms of flies 
Hoofs started sleeping, seeping from the walls. They found cloven hoof prints in the snow and a spectral voice screamed out, Get out! One theory behind the events, Ronald DeFeo Jr. was no mere psychopath, but somehow possessed by the house's evil spirits, which may have emanated from the ancient Indian burial ground it was supposedly built on. Pleading insanity, DeFeo said he heard voices told him to kill his family. Unwilling to fall victim to the same forces, the Lutches fled the house, leaving behind all their possessions a mere 28 days after they moved in. And what began as a family tragedy morphed into a pop culture juggernaut. In 1977, the book The Amityville Horror became not merely a bestseller, but a bona fide phenomena. 1979, the movie adaptation became the first entry in a widely successful horror franchise that has gone on for decades. And from the beginning, the alleged supernatural events were dogged by controversy. Some folks call the whole thing a hoax. DeFeo, for his part, later disavowed his demon defense. But it would have been a risk, to say the least, for the Lutzes, who were hardly wealthy to leave behind a house they just bought, staking their future on an elaborate lie. And this wasn't, at any rate, your garden-variety house-flipping. To the end of their days, the Lutzes insisted their story was true. Kathy Lutz died in 2004 and George in 2006. And as the horror house used in the movie in 2012 was on the market, its original asking price of $1.45 million reduced to 955000 Four years later, it was listed again for 850000 and eventually lowered to 605000 in 2017. Think demons caused the, the resale? Well, in this particular case, you might say it was a type of demon. It was a divorce. Well, let's go to what you might call a historical haunting. The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, New York. It's where the headless horseman is supposed to be wandering around. According to Washington Irving, a drowsy, dreamy influence seems to hang over the land, pervade the atmosphere. He's talking about the, the town in the Legend of Sleepy Hollow. That was his 1820 story about the level-worn schoolteacher Ichabod Crane's encounter with the hell-bent headless horseman. The whole neighborhood abounds with local tales and haunted spots and twilight superstitions. Well, Irving invented the name Sleepy, Sleepy Hollow. The village, formerly known as North Terrytown, was rechristened after the fictitious uh, enclave in the late 1990s. You might make the reference to life-imitating art. But after all, what's in a name? 25 miles north of New York City, Sleepy Hollow is now a populous suburb. Long ago, lost its bucolic atmosphere that was so enchanted in uh, Washington Irving. And if you look... You'll see the traces of the old superstition still abound. Sleepy Hollow's old Dutch church and burying ground, the oldest church in New York State, has, for instance, removed to be haunted by Irving's infernal equestrian. Unlikely, given that the specter is mostly the writer's invention, but, I mean, after all, what cemetery doesn't have a ghost? Also, the burial place of two women, Katrina Ecker Van Tassel and her niece, Eleanor Van Tassel Brush either of whom may have inspired the character of Katrina Van Tassel, Ichabod's love interest. Disembodied whispers have been heard in the Sleepy Hollow Cemetery, where Irving himself is buried, and the writer's home of called Sunnyside, where he designed and where he lived on, on his last days, is said to be haunted by his ghost. Apparently he likes to pinch the nether regions of female visitors. Irving himself claimed to have seen a ghost while he lived there, described as a young lady who wandered through the orchard. She said to have died of love and green apples. His two spectral nieces have also been seen cleaning up after the place is closed for the day. Nearby towns have their share of spooks as well. Irvington, named after Washington Irving, is home to the Church of St. Barnabas, the home of a long-dead former pastor and another former pastor's wife. Unearthly mist and dancing lights have been observed in Scarborough Sparta Cemetery, resting place of the so-called Leather Man, an eccentric, unidentified man who 
spent his life wandering around New York and Connecticut wearing nothing but a leather suit. You know, Irving's infamous tale has left sometimes ridiculous legacy in the town that bears his name. Before it closed, you could order Horseman Bruschetta at the Horseman Restaurant and Pizza, for instance. Ichabod Crane endures on the library shelves and in our collective imagination, if nowhere else. At the end of the legend of Sleepy Hollow, Irving suggests a lonely school teacher's voice can be heard at a distance, chanting a melancholy psalm tune among the tranquil solitudes of Sleepy Hollow. Nobody's reported that, but then again, some folks are, uh, shall we say, embarrassed to admit encounters with the uh, occult. Let's go to Banff, Canada, Revenants of the Rockies. First opened in 1988 as a luxury railroad hub, the Banff Springs Hotel, also known as the Castle in the Rockies, is one of North America's great mountain getaways with sweeping views of the Bow Valley and the Art of Banff National Park. And although this lavish resort has 764 guest rooms, one is notoriously missing. There's no room 873 on the 8th floor, even though rooms end in the number 73 elsewhere in the hotel. Legend has it that a husband murdered his wife and daughter in room 873, and the girl's fingerprints simply could not be washed off the mirror. Well, this, along with the disembodied screaming and bloody handprints on the walls caused the hotel staff to shut off the space. I mean, can you imagine that? Closing down a perfectly good room for a little thing like that. Baseboards cut with the door to room 873 would have been, according to enjoybaniff.com. Knocking on the wall produces a hollow sound. Guests reportedly seen the doomed family spirits roaming the halls, along with a headless bagpiper and a bartender who tells guests they've had too much to drink. And another well-known ghost is the burned bride, who died with a wedding dress caught fire and who dances in a wedding dress in the Rob Roy dining room in the Cascade Ballroom. Hotel's friendliest underworldly occupant, Sam McCauley, a Scottish bellman who died in 1975 and who still said to operate the elevators and never asked for overtime. Hotel security guard cast a little professional doubt on that legend. He said the guy worked here for decades and what does he do after he dies? He comes back and works the elevator. He found it hard to believe. Well, on that note, we come into today's show. We'll talk about more haunted places tomorrow when, once again, you'll be hearing Ken Hudnall and the Ken Hudnall Show. Till then, have a truly great evening. <laughs>